Once a month, we check in with State Senator Andy Menard, get the latest view from the State House and what's happening. And, and pretty interesting, uh, another example of how time really flies. It has been three years since a landmark school funding reform bill was passed here in Illinois. Of course, at that time, no one envisioned a pandemic, an economic crash, the broad implications for tax revenue, both at the state and local levels, and what that would mean for education. So how's it all playing out? That's where we start this afternoon with Senator Andy Menard. Senator, always great to have you on the program. Welcome. You bet. Thanks for having me, Jim. Well, uh, again, the school funding reform plan was intended to really set up school districts all around Illinois to have the resources that they need. And then the bottom dropped out this year with the pandemic. So bring us up to speed on how the funding reform legislation is playing out. And and is it going to be sufficient to address the challenges still to come? Um, I think it will be eventually. Um, and I think probably I should recognize right now what I've heard from uh, most districts around the state is uh, is simply this, Jim. Where would they be today amid everything that they have to deal with um, with COVID-19 if that bill hadn't been passed and signed into law? We would we would still be regressing further and further into deep inequity uh, between the haves and the have nots. Uh, but fortunately, we're on a very different path today, and that has, um, especially at a time when um, the the neediest school districts um, are and should be in line for the most state resources, uh, the timing uh, plays a big part in how successful this has been, um, certainly during COVID-19. So, you know, we, we are in this situation now uh, where a lot of districts have had to, to one degree or another, uh, implement remote learning. What are you hearing uh, throughout your district? How is this going? How are school districts coping with that part of the pandemic? Yeah, I'm hearing a mixed bag, and um, I can certainly speak to this as a parent of, of three children uh, one of which is in high school in Bunker Hill, and uh, my daughter Abby is fully remote. Uh, my son, Will, um, is in eighth grade, and he has a blended schedule. And my son, Ben, is in sixth grade, and he goes four days a week because he has an IEP. Um, so so I think most districts um, that I've dealt with have taken great strides to make this very challenging and difficult situation as good as it can be. I would just say this, Jim, this, it's not a sustainable system. Um, it is not designed to be sustainable. It is not sustainable. I have very deep concerns about some long-term impacts uh, that are going to be felt, especially by children in, um, in underfunded school districts and children that have special needs. I, I'm very concerned about that. We will get to that, and we will address it eventually, because right now in the, we're in the middle of a of a pandemic with school starting, but I do have deep concerns about the long-term impact of learning loss. State Senator Andy Menard is here with us live this afternoon. Uh, Senator, as we uh, deal with so much uh, related to the pandemic, uh, it becomes even more important to make sure everybody's counted. Future federal funding will depend heavily on that. You've been making the rounds trying to encourage census participation. Tell us about your message and, and how has the response been throughout your legislative district so far? Yeah, it's it's lower than uh, we want it to be. I would I would tell you that, Jim. Um, w- my message is simple. This takes five minutes. It takes five minutes of your time, and you 
uh, being counted and your family being counted will have a positive impact on your community for a decade, for 10 years to come. Things as, as simple as um, having a library funded or making sure that your school district has access to early childhood education or making sure that your fire department can qualify for grants at the federal level. Um, the list goes on. It's an endless list, Jim. And everything that those funding avenues and those funding streams are based on come from the census. I'll give you the most recent example uh, with the business interruption grants that have been um, handed out by the state government through the Federal CARES Act. The data being used in those business interruption grants uh, originated from the census in 2010. So uh, the people that filled out their census in 2010 helped, helped business interruption grants get in the hands of small businesses today. That's how important this is. It just takes five minutes, and we just need everybody to do it. And, and Senator, yeah, people should know this, but if, if they aren't really sure how to proceed, we know that door-to-door census taking is an iffy proposition mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Where do they go to actually fill out the census if they haven't done so? Yeah, the, the best place is to go online, and the website is My2020 Census. That's 2020, My2020Census.gov. And um, if you didn't do it via mail, go online and do it. It's very easy. It's very simple. Um, there, there are community organizations, the Primary Health Care Association based in Springfield, the Faith Coalition for the Common Good, uh, the McCoupin County Public Health Department are all teaming and more are teaming together now to attempt the door-to-door activity. Um, one thing is troubling here, and that's the president arbitrarily whacked a month off of census taking. Um, I'm not going to get into the motives. I don't want to question anyone's motives, but I do know that's a problem. And that makes the time that we have left between now and the end of the month, uh, September 30th, even more important because we have a month left to count, uh, excuse me, a month less to count than we normally would. That's why we need people to do it now. State Senator Andy Menard is live with us this afternoon, WMAY on 92.7, 94.7, and 9.70 a.m. Senator, I wanted to ask you uh, about something I'm seeing a lot now on social media, and it shows us the power of pretty simplistic arguments uh, against fairly complex issues, namely the upcoming constitutional amendment on the progressive income tax. Uh, There is a real concerted effort right now, and I'm seeing it shared all over the place, to to say to people, uh, if you vote for this amendment, they're going to tax retirement income. Uh, Retirement income Mm -hmm. is going to be taxed uh, if you approve this amendment. Uh, Help sort this all out and, and let people know what this amendment really does and does not do. Yeah, so so before I do that, I want to say this, that um, this is an everyday proposition today from the Republican Party. Lying to voters is an everyday proposition from the Republican Party. You get up in the morning, you hear a lie somewhere from the Republican Party. The latest is, uh, and I've answered these questions multiple times this week about this particular issue, Jim, about taxing retirement income. We have an exemption in state law today. Um, that has nothing to do with the Constitution. It has to do with with what the law says that says that income taxes are not applied to a a broad array of retirement income. Most retirement income, I should say nearly all retirement income is not taxed in Illinois. That that could change tomorrow. It has nothing to do with approval or uh, disapproval of a constitutional amendment that, that puts in place a tax system 
that is more in line with our neighboring states and every other state in the country. This is not some crazy idea that, that we are trying for the first time in Illinois. We are catching up to other states. Uh, that's why I was a co-sponsor of it in the Senate, and I firmly believe that those that have done well in this very difficult economy, it's time for them to step up and pay a little more, just like they do in every other state. But misinformation, misinformation today in our democracy is very, very concerning. We don't see it with the fair tax. We see it every day coming from the White House. And that is something that we are going to have to address, and it's going to take all of us to do that. You've also been pretty outspoken about the role of social media sites like Facebook in the furtherance of misinformation. Uh, is that something that the Illinois legislature can address? Is there anything that can be done about that? Is there any chance Facebook's going to do a better job of policing itself? Well, Facebook has done some policing of itself, um, but you know, when you did none, some is progress, but it is not nearly enough to where it should be. I mean, look what just happened in Kenosha, Jim, and, and look at the response from Facebook um, in terms of pointing fingers at themselves within their own corporation um, in terms of uh, how that militia was, was promoted on Facebook. I mean, we have a situation today where YouTube rewards accounts uh, for promoting false information to children. Um, we have a system today uh, where Facebook doesn't allow certain political ads but allows others and delays some but doesn't delay others. Um, this is a deep problem for our democracy. It really is. And it's getting worse as the days tick away. I mean, even this week, Jim, we saw in the State Journal Register yesterday, it's not just social media. We have legislators using taxpayer funding to send out, quote unquote, newsletters um, that are just blatant lies. And that's using taxpayer resources. So this idea that you can just say anything and get away with it and create alternative facts and build an alternative universe, that is a daily occurrence today in the United States of America. And it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Our democracy is not going to survive. It's not going to survive if this type of thing keeps growing. Senator, just a couple more questions. Uh, one has to do with Exelon, which last week came out uh, and said it was going to close. A couple of its nuclear plants, a couple more apparently are on the chopping block here in central Illinois. That makes people really, really nervous when we think about the Clinton plant, for example, and the jobs there. Uh, what do you see happening with Exelon, and what do you expect the legislature to do in response to what they've announced? Well, I, I'm disappointed they announced. I mean, I've been through uh, uh, coal mine closures in, in my career as a local official and a power plant closure most recently in coffee from this as a state senator. Um, I've been Decatur. Um, so it was a mistake for Exelon to announce what they did when when they did. Um, there is there is much um, anticipated legislation uh, when it comes to the broad issue of energy. Negotiating that is going to be very difficult, given the, the ongoing investigation into um, those activities of that particular company. Um, so it's tough work. But, you know, Exelon taking that step the way that they did when they did it, I think, was ill-advised. Um, I'm confident, though, that we can build a piece of legislation that's broad-based, um, that is consumer-friendly, that continues Illinois as an energy leader in the country. One of the best things we have going for us, Jim, is we have some of the cheapest power in the nation. I hear that from employers everywhere in my district. We have to keep it that way, and I'm, I'm confident that we can put a 
legislative package together to be able to do that. Uh, and Senator, finally, uh, the ongoing conversation about ethics, uh, Republicans still demanding a special session. I know the governor said we can deal with this in the fall veto session. The last time there was a news conference on this, Republican lawmakers said we didn't even know if there was going to be a fall veto session. Will there be? Uh, are we going to go through what we did back in May with uh, having some folks at the BOS Center? Uh, how, how's that all going to work? And will ethics be taken up this fall? Yeah, so I think, you know, I wouldn't want to speculate today what a veto session is going to look like months from now, because as we all have experienced in our lives, the ups and downs of COVID and um, everything that is associated with it. I I believe that today, uh, you know, if if all things being equal, we would have a veto session. And I would expect us um, after after the commission, the ethics uh, uh, commission has uh, reform commission has issued its report that to be the basis of legislation. You know, I stepped out with many of my colleagues a few weeks back, um, calling for nine measures uh, to be taken up during veto session. Uh, we hope that that was helpful to the commission in terms of getting their report together and issued. That report is very important. I appreciate the work of the members on both sides of the aisle that are working toward it. That report will be the basis, I hope, of legislation that will be uh, permanent and will inject transparency and accountability into our state government, which which, again, is desperately needed. State Senator Andy Menard, we're out of time. Appreciate yours. Thanks. We'll talk soon. You bet. Thank you.